Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. Today we are talking about concussion. Now I should say that Scotland back in 2015 was the first nation in the world to have a government-backed guideline for concussion management across all major sports. And we're talking to one of the team that were involved in that guideline and the second version of that guideline which was released a few weeks ago. And his name is Dr Jonathan Hansen and he's a dual accredited sports medicine and emergency medicine consultant. And he's very humble as you'll hear but I just wanted to add that he works for many organisations across World Rugby and UEFA. And he also works for Sports Scotland looking after the Olympic and Commonwealth athletes from Team GB who are based in Scotland. So this is a discussion of those latest guideline changes and we should just emphasise that the same principles could apply for all causes of concussion that we see in the emergency department. So many thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. Today we are talking about all things concussion and we've got a very special guest with us today who knows quite a lot about the subject and I'll probably just leave it to him to introduce himself if that's okay. Uh, Yep, thank you. So I'm Jonathan Hansen. I'm a consultant in sport and exercise medicine and a consultant in emergency medicine based in Fife. And I'm the chair of the Scottish Government Advisory Group on sports-related concussion. So we've quite a bit to talk about, Jonathan, if that's okay. But I thought we'd start with some basics. So what exactly is concussion? Is there an easy way to define it? Yeah, if you if you look at the most recent document around concussion, there's um, everybody's working to try and get a more succinct definition. But keeping it as simply as possible, the modern definition would be it's a brain injury. Uh, in the past, we used to call them minor head injuries, but if you think about it as a brain injury, it sounds much more significant. Uh, classically, um, or at least macroscopically, um, it's a functional brain injury. Um, the pathologists um, will say that um, there is some evidence of axonal stretching um, and some evidence of axonal death on a microscopic level. But in terms of ease, it's a functional brain injury. And what causes it typically? Direct force to the head or even force transmitted to the head through a blow to the body can all result in a concussive brain injury. So this might be a wee bit of a silly question, but why is it so important? Can you can you can you put it succinctly why it should matter to us as A and E doctors? Yeah, there's been a bit of a change of mindset um, with concussion. As I said, it, it used to be a minor head injury, um, but if you say brain injury, there's nothing minor about a brain injury, and there are some potential short, medium, and potentially long-term consequences. Uh, anyone who's keeps an eye on sport and the media will have realised that through American football there's a massive litigation area um, certainly across the pond in the States there um, which may or may not affect the the longer term implications which I'll come to Um, but certainly in terms of the short term um, implications well there is a condition called second impact syndrome where you have more than one consecutive Uh, concussive brain injury which occasionally can be fatal now around the world second impact syndrome is is quite controversial Um, some people argue it's all related to the first impact but undoubtedly there is a framework um, of pathology which results in massive cerebral edema thought to be due to disruption of the um, cerebral autoregulation Um, so short term good concussion management pitch side and having a if in doubt sit them out policy is definitely the right thing to do especially when you're talking about children and young developing brains who are more prone to to 
the so-called second impact syndrome. From a medium-term perspective, um, this is a brain injury. Um, and we have people who have a functional brain injury who are then going to work, go to school, try and function in everyday life um, before looking to get back to their sport and physical activity. Um, obviously, physical activity is... While we don't know a lot about some aspects of concussion, we know an awful lot about physical activity and it's perhaps the best thing you can do for your health. So there's a good medicine side of it as well of doing good concussion management to promote physical activity. Um, finally, on the medium term, we also know that once you've had one concussion, you are more likely to get a musculoskeletal injury, perhaps up to 30% more likely in the succeeding weeks. Um, which obviously would have an NHS cost in terms of physio or in terms of medical appointments or in terms of cost to the individual. Um, and of course, for the long term, um, again, through the NFL um, and through popular media and even through the cinema, there are some people who have an opinion that um, sports-related concussion, repeated poorly managed concussions can increase your chance of problems such as depression, suicide risk, dementia, uh, the so-called CTE, which we can come talk about more later, but pathological diagnosis, a post-mortem diagnosis. In fact, the evidence around those is not um, definitive. There may be an association is probably the best we can say at the moment, um, but certainly having better care through emergency departments around the short and medium-term advice that's given will be more beneficial for individuals going forward. So we'll probably cover it a wee bit more uh, as we go on through this podcast, but to just um, briefly, what are the main symptoms and signs of concussion? What, what, what should we be looking out for? The classical signs um, and symptoms of concussion would be headache, dizziness, feeling like you're in a fog, having a blank expression on your face for a few seconds after an impact, being slow to get up, um, Obviously, loss of consciousness or suspected loss of consciousness. But as I said, um, only 10% of people with concussion actually lose consciousness. So it's not one of the uh, symptoms that we put an awful lot of weight on. If somebody's not knocked out, they could still be concussed. So before we get into the kind of maybe more abnormal situations, um, what is the kind of natural normal, if I can put that, you know, if I can say normal, uh, course of concussion? What, what happens in the majority of, of these cases? So the, the majority of adults, um, and it is subtly different between adults and children um, or adolescents, the, the, the majority of adults, um, concussion will resolve within about seven to ten days. Um, that's not symptoms, that's signs as well, so across balance, cognition, um, emotional, um, so the sort of functional stuff will resolve within seven to ten days. Typical um, sports-related concussion will have some symptoms, two or three symptoms perhaps, that will last 12 hours, 24 hours. Um, typically a, a mild headache or just not quite feeling right. And often when they wake up the next day, they feel back to normal. Um, or at least they feel back to normal. That's why the Berlin guidelines from 2016 revised the previous practice of saying rest, rest, rest but now just limiting the rest um, until sort of 24, 48 hours maximum, giving any symptoms a chance to, to disappear. 
Um, there is another group, of course, the people who develop symptoms late and symptoms don't develop until sort of 12, 24, up to 72 hours after the head impact. Um, and they're slightly less common, but um, still common enough to be to be seen frequently. Okay, so let's make it kind of practical, if that's okay. So obviously our listeners are majority emergency doctors, so let's take you through a few scenarios. And at each stage, I want you to tell me how you would manage that situation, if that's okay. So first up is pitch side, okay? So say I'm at a pitch and there's no team doctor and, and I'm asked to get involved in a situation. So if you could take me through how you would manage, so we'll say it's a rugby game, Patients being involved in a tackle, they're lying in the pitch. What would you do at that point? Okay, yep. So at grassroots level, um, pretty much as as I've said, um, the mantra is, if in doubt, sit them out. So you'd have a really low threshold for removing them from the pitch. Um, And it's the same as any other pre-hospital care environment, safe to approach. Um, The last thing you want to be doing is get clattered by some 110 kilogram uh, prop forward running at you when you're doing a well-meaning intervention to to go on to see somebody who's just a bit tired um again just like any pre-hospital care or any ATLS resource room environment um protect the neck so in address with mills manual inline stabilization and assess the ABCs um airway breathing circulation in in all my time in sport having spent many many times courtside or pitch side um, I've never had to do anything more than a transient jaw thrust. Um, for most people wake up quite quickly. Sports-related concussion is very transient. Uh, sorry, sports-related loss of consciousness is very transient. Um, but of course, you could be less lucky than I've been. Um, and once you're happy that the ABCs are briefly normal, um, you have to make a decision. Are they going to stay on the pitch? Can you clear their neck? Are you going to walk them off? Um, or do you need some help, in which case you have to say to the referee, stop the game, um, I need an ambulance if you think they've got a, a neck injury. Um, obviously, while you're interacting with them on the floor, they'll give you some idea of what their cognition's doing. Um, and there are, there is a screening tool, which is probably the only validated screening tool around called the Maddox Questions. Um Again, we, we try not to put too much emphasis on the Maddox questions because we found in version one of the Sports Scotland guidance that people were using them as a reason to keep people on. Um, you know, thank goodness they've passed all the questions, therefore they can stay on, whereas in fact you've actually got enough suspicion just by asking the questions at grassroots. That so they rule in, off. but they don't rule out, is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, they're not very sensitive. And what are those? Can you... Yeah, so there are... Um, they're essentially five questions, and we modified them from um, from for the Scottish advice in two thousand and fifteen. But the traditional questions would be, they're they're a bit like a, a four AT um, dementia sort of screen, you know. Um, what venue are we at today? Which half is it now? Who scored last in this game? What team did you play last week? And did your team win the last game? Now we found there were some problems there because not everybody's doing team sport. You know, the guidance can easily become very pitch team team sport orientated but that's not necessarily always the case so we modified those questions to where are we now roughly what time of day is it how did you get here today where were you this day last week and what were you doing this time last week so same sort of things but just asking them in a different way 
Again, I would urge people not to be reassured if you get normal answers to those. If you've seen enough by mechanism, um, then if in doubt, sit them out. Okay, so probably to summarise that, so you, you, you would make an assessment of the injury, what you saw, what others have seen. You would approach the patient, do your ABC assessment with uh, C-spine immobilisation if required. You're going to look for symptoms and signs and ask your questions. And I guess if it's not completely normal, then they come off. Is that fair enough? Yes, although, um, again, you may have seen enough just by the mechanism and the fact that you're being asked to get involved may well be enough to get them off. I think a lot of people see medical presence pitch side and, oh, here we are, the oracle, in you come. Tell me this player can stay on the pitch. Whereas, in fact, the fact that you're being asked to get involved is probably a big red flag that they can't. A um, bad injury or they don't get up quickly or they look like they were knocked out. or Exactly. Those things are quick and easy. Get them off and you can do your assessment yeah. inside, I guess. Yeah, because the, the vagueness that they, they appear in their face may only last a couple of seconds. Sporting loss of consciousness is extremely transient, so the ref may have seen it by the time you get on there bright and breezy back to normal so before we move to the a because we're going to go there that's going to be the most important part but so we've taken this particular um person um inside say into the changing rooms so what 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 would you do there so so well we'll jump forward a wee bit we'll say that you've assessed them you've assessed the risk of injury you've assessed their signs their symptoms you've asked them the maddox questions you think they're probably okay not... Well, well, sorry, before I go any further, what what would be your indications to refer them on to emergency? And what, if they don't require emergency assessment, what would be your advice from there? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's different for medical personnel, pitch side, versus members of the public. Um, so... The, the advice around when to send people to hospital is all in line with sign guidelines um, about who needs to go to hospital after a head injury. Um, and that includes, by sign, everybody who's lost consciousness. Um, I think if you're an ED consultant pitch side, you, know, you can make a risk assessment on that um, in terms of have they got a responsible adult with them, um, you know, giving them some recommendations and written guidance about what's the period of observation that needs to happen. Um, but again, you've got to set your threshold very low because medical legally, you're probably at risk a bit there. Um, but certainly when they come off the pitch, I would be doing a more formal neurological examination. Um, and at the very least, if I'm going to allow them home, I would give them a copy of the Sports Scotland concussion advice and advise them not to drive and not to drink alcohol that evening and to have a responsible adult for the next 24 hours. And we can put a wee link to the, the to those guidelines, um, which will be in our show notes. Okay, so scenario number two, um, we're now in A&E. Say we weren't pitch side, just, and we don't know the story, just for the sake of this podcast. So you're now the emergency consultant, and, and, and this rugby player has been brought in for whatever reason. How do you approach this particular scenario? So we're, we're presuming that they're, they're not coming in as a... Spinally immobilised, they're coming in as a walking Yeah, head we'll injury. just say a walking head injury for this particular yeah. case. Yeah, so the good news is, in terms of the guidance, um, it shouldn't really be any different than any other um, any other head injury. It's take a history, what happened, assess memory, assess cognition. Um, from a sporting perspective, we, we um, 
assess balance as well. But I suppose you've seen that if you've seen them get up from the waiting room and walk 20 metres down the corridor to the cubicle um, as, a, as a brief assessment of balance. Um, and then I would just complete a neurological examination. I would decide, do they, does this need escalating in line with sign head injury guidelines for CT scanning? If it does, then that happens. If it needs escalating in terms of needing observation in the department, then that happens. If they're fit for discharge, then that can happen too. But whatever the outcome, the most important bit is the rehab advice they then get in line with the Sports Scotland advice. Okay, so this particular patient has what we presume are just concussive symptoms, nothing requiring uh, or mandating a CT. Um, so we decide that they're probably fit to go. So in my limited experience, um, we often just discharge with, you know, don't play sport for a few weeks. It might be this. But there's an, doesn't feel like, certainly having read the guidelines, I think there's a lot more to it than that. Is that fair to say? So would it be possible for you, if you don't mind, just to, to go through the stages of rehabilitation and how we can better advise patients about returning to normal life and, and sport yeah absolutely um i mean i suppose at first look it does look a bit complicated but it's just a natural progression in terms quite a common sense approach in terms of getting back to normal life and then getting back to sport and the back page of the document does have quite a nice little checklist so people can self-monitor because we're asking the public to monitor themselves at home and then um we are suggesting that they get signed off, um, or signed off's the wrong word, but we are suggesting that they get reviewed by a healthcare professional um, before they return to sport, just as an additional safety net. Um, but the, the first phase after being diagnosed with a sports-related concussion would be um, relative rest. Um, that's 24 to 48 hours of trying to do as little as possible, taking it really easy. Um, if you're a 14-year-old schoolboy, not spending six hours on the on the Xbox, um, just trying to parents encouraging them to do very little and just take it easy until that symptomatic phase disappears. Once the symptoms start to disappear, then they can start thinking about progressing into the next phase, which typically is 24 to 48 hours, uh, which is return to normal life. And again, return to normal life um, has got four phases to it, or four stages to it progressing over sort of 24 to four well 24 hours for adults 48 hours for the um under 19 so age 18 and under uh, and the first phase would be just doing five actively doing five to 15 minute sessions of say a bit of reading um a bit of writing a bit of book work game console screen time but keeping it to small chunks um of 15 minutes you're not allowing yourself to get too overloaded um, the focus on that first stage is returning to normal daily activities, doing what you would normally do on a day off from work or school. After that, the, the second stage would be increasing tolerance of that. So progression through each stage depends upon a lack of return of symptoms. Um, once you are doing 5 to 10, 15 minute chunks, you can start increasing tolerance by doing longer periods and just removing all restrictions on what you're doing um, from not from physical activity but from everyday activities the third stage would be thinking about trying to get back to school or back to work so you might do a half day or some work at home um, some manage phone calls or 
you know, something a bit less than full uh, and then finally looking to get to full return to activity, which by the guideline would take about four days um, to, to get back for an adult and maybe slightly longer for a child, which is a big change from the previous one. It really is making it a rehabilitation rather than I've got a brain injury and then I'm going to go and do five hours of high-powered meetings the next day in my job. Once you've pretty much getting back to normal life and we, we do have a bit of pragmatism here realising that once kids are at school they'll be playing football in the playground already um, once you've got back to normal life you can start thinking about returning to your sport formally uh, and there's a progression through doing 20 minutes on an exercise bike or 20 minutes of light running around um, just to get your heart rate up a bit and then increasing that and then putting some skill components into it. So maybe a bit of ball work or um, safe, low-level activity if you're a gymnast or something like that. Working your way up to finally doing gym work and contact practice and maybe three or four days into that um, pathway too. Sorry, I just wanted to, something we didn't quite point out before that obviously, and you've mentioned it there, but if you don't mind just clarifying that the children generally take a little bit longer is that right so you can anticipate kind of slower stages in in recovery is that fair enough would you like to just kind of clarify that yeah that's right i I said that um i mentioned a couple of things already but there are uh, notable differences uh between adults so those aged over 18 um adolescents between 18 and 13 and then children under 13 both in terms of uh, what's acceptable, um, you know, what would be regarded as normal recovery and in terms of how long we take to return them. The Berlin document actually makes quite a strong distinction between all three categories of adults, adolescents and children. Um, we've just stuck to, for simplicity, we've stuck to adults and adolescents, um, children as such, and we've just said be even more conservative. Um so, for example, for an adult, um, I mentioned that 70 or 80 percent of people will be completely back to normal from the concussion at seven to 10 days. Uh, so symptoms going out with that would be concerning. And children, you can have persistence of symptoms for up to four weeks um, and still be regarded as normal recovery. Um, so it can take a bit longer. Um the because we stretch it out a bit as well um, for a developing brain taking longer to rehab allowing more tolerance the progression between the stages within return to normal life and within graduated return to sport are 48 hour progressions between each of the four stages rather than 24 hours just reflecting developing brains be more conservative take longer Okay, so let's just, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll bring in a third scenario if that's okay. So typically in, in our situation, we generally refer to the GP if symptoms haven't resolved after a certain period of time. So we don't often see people back a few weeks down the line. But let's just say, and what sometimes happens is people present for the first time two or three weeks down the line post-head injury and they've still got concussive symptoms. What do you generally do in those kind of situations when they're when they're lasting longer than you would have expected them to? Um, so, the the first thing when the, when you see these people who are delayed delayed presenters or non resolvers is what's um, you know, have they got a macroscopic brain injury? Basically, so you're assessing them from that perspective in terms of history and examination and thinking about imaging. Are you going to do a CT? Are you going to do an MRI? Um, looking for any evidence of bleeding, etc. Um, whether you decide to do that or not, 
there are a couple of tools. Um, the most well-known one, which is in Berlin, uh, the Berlin document is the SCAT-5 test um, or tool, the standardised concussion assessment tool. And that's a bit like a fancy frailty screen, really, for sports-related concussion. It's got um, sections on cognition, on uh, immediate memory, delayed recall, balance, uh, and a symptom score, which can be used to monitor concussion as it improves. So I, w- I would do a SCAT-5, and a bit like a frailty screen, the first time you do it, you're a bit fingers and thumbs, and it can take you 20 minutes. But as soon as you've done five or six, you can pick it up quite easily and know how to do it. Um once you've quantified it, most places are going to be looking to refer on and the relevant specialties who have an interest in sports-related concussion. It needs a multidisciplinary approach, so physios to work on vestibular systems to help with balance, um, even psychologists to help with some of the cognitive issues. Um, and so classically, it's neurology, rehabilitation medicine, or more recently, sport and exercise medicine physicians who would have an interest in concussion to monitor these people and help them back to normal function. So thank you very much. I think we've come to the end, but I just thought, would you like to summarise it in any way? Is there anything, just a parting, if you can remember one or two things, this is it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we're... We're fortunate um, in that we have managed to get a group of um, well subject experts around the table in Scotland and now produce revised guidance um, for grassroots and public um, concussion. You know, potentially is a big public health issue, and emergency medicine is ideally placed to influence um, the quality of the concussion advice that we give people, given that they see head injuries acutely more than any other specialty. Um, yeah, I think the, in the old days, the current head injury advice sheets would say, thank goodness it's not a subdural, um, goodbye, get back to normal normal activity. But realistically going forward, the way the rest of the world is speaking and the way we should be speaking, we should be thinking about a staged return to normal life and then a staged return to sport, just like rehabbing a hamstring. Do you mind if I finish with one last question? And I and I ask it because I ask everyone who, who, who contributes to podcasts. So if we could take you back on a time machine and to meet your junior self just leaving medical school, is there anything that you've gained in all of your experience? And it can be concussion related, non-concussion related, it could be clinical, non-clinic, whatever. Anything that you've gained in your in your in your kind of career that would be of value to someone starting theirs? Yeah. Um, so bearing in mind that I've tried to do sports medicine and emergency medicine alongside each other through or around MMC and I've made some um, brilliant decisions in my book in terms of things I've chosen to do in career decisions for people who are used to the sausage factory of medicine. They would say, oh, that's a bit strange. Why are you doing that? So my message to my younger self would be, don't be afraid to swim against the tide. Don't be afraid to make a decision that's different than everybody else is doing. You've got a clear goal of where you want to go. Um, you will get there if you're driven enough, irrespective of the number of people who say no. And I guess there's a lot of advantages to finding your niche. Probably enjoyment. I mean, would you say that you're, you enjoy your career maybe a little more having a varied um, set of interests and 
having a passion and a niche in something that you're very passionate about is that is that does that help you in your life and and, and in your career absolutely and and uh, nobody's noticed that more than than my wife at home and your kids probably too yeah, to yeah just in terms of you know how happy i am um with a portfolio career i love my emergency medicine um but equally i love working with driven professionals out with medicine through my sport and not just the athletes all the support staff um and being able to work in multiple different environments inside outside bit of travel um very lucky um but yeah don't be afraid to swim against the tide i think that's a fantastic way to finish dr jonathan hansen thank you so much for your time thank you very much enjoyed it so many, many thanks to Dr. Jonathan Hansen for that discussion on concussion. Just to re-emphasise again that although we were discussing mainly the recent guidelines on sports concussion management, that these same principles could and probably should be applied to concussion of all causes. I think my main take-home points today. Number one, well, why does concussion matter? Well, in the short term, you're trying to avoid second impact syndrome, which can be fatal. In the medium term, you want to reduce the risk of musculoskeletal injury, which is 30% more common in the weeks following concussion. And in the longer term, although this bit is a wee bit more controversial, it may reduce the likelihood of depression and dementia. Number two, if you're pitch side and you're caring for someone who's taken a head injury, if in doubt, sit them out is the big mantra from the new guidance. So if you see anything suspicious or there's any symptoms or signs, or if they feel any of the Maddox questions, then you ought to remove them from play. If there are any concerning symptoms or signs as per sign guidelines, then they should be referred to A&E. Number three, if you see a patient in A&E with a head injury, you want to exclude neck and brain injury. And then if concussion is present, but they're otherwise well, then you can advise on a phased return to life and sport. And this effectively has three stages. The first is relative rest for 24, 48 hours. The second is return to normal life, which has four stages, each about 24 to 48 hours um, in length and with gradually increasing amounts of work and activity. And after they've returned to normal activity, then stage three is returning to sport and that's a gradual increase in intensity of sport. And the detail of those stages can be found in the links in the show notes. And finally, number four, for non-resolvers after two to three weeks, you want to exclude a macroscopic brain injury you should consider a SCAT-5 assessment tool and then they will ultimately need followed up with neurology. So many thanks again to Dr. Hansen. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Take care.